Well, so we are coming up on six months, right, since we began, um, at least openly, um, in terms of our ministry of Northern Life Baptist Church. Uh, and we've done a lot of different um, logistical things in that time, uh, incorporating uh, bank account, web page, Facebook profile. We even have a podcast stream to host our sermons. Um, and we've had a lot of visitors over the course of the summer and the fall, especially during our Christmas service we had in early December, which was wonderful. Um, we distribute a prayer letter monthly that goes out to Colonial Baptist in Connecticut, as well as um, a number of other pastors who support this ministry through their prayers as far away as Michigan. So we come to the end and then the beginning of a calendar year, but we're still obviously in the midst of our first year as um, a body of believers and a body of people willing and wanting to hear the word of God. Our mission statement um, that we put in the material that we gave at Christmas at that, that, that meeting states, Northern Light Baptist Church exists to share the fullness of joy that results from personally treasuring Jesus Christ above all things and recognizing God as the sovereign ruler of the universe. So what does this mean for us in the coming year, in 2023? How are we going to further that mission? What, are, what will the Lord have us to do? Recognizing that this isn't a business, we're not um, uh, looking at our financial statement isn't going to tell us whether we've been successful. Looking at um, uh, those type of things is not a measure of a, of a spiritual success necessarily. There are very successful, um, from a business standpoint, uh, churches in this country that are leading people directly to hell, unfortunately. Um, and there are very meager works that are doing very good teaching of God's word. Um, so what is God looking for from this body? What is our task? What is our commission? Now, the term great commission is a term that usually identifies a particular portion of the Gospels. Um, and we just read part of, part of what we read this morning was one of them. Um, and the definition of, the com of a commission that comes closest to what I think what we're seeing in the Gospels here would be a charge, an order, a mandate, authority given. I, I charge you to do this. I commission you to do this. So it is the great commission, the great charge. In Matthew's Gospel, what we just read, most people would say that verses 18 through 20 in chapter 28 here is uh, the great commission. Um, and, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And here comes the charge, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So we got go, teach, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now there are similar um, this account is, is captured in the other Gospels. If we go to Mark, uh, page 1426, or Mark 16, 15. Uh, pretty short here in Mark. Mark 16, 15, and 16. Words of, well, and he, Jesus, said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So those are the words of Christ. So go preach. That is his commission there in Mark. Now Luke, let's go to Luke 24, which is page 1483. 
Luke 24, 44. I'll read a little bit longer section here, even though it's not all necessarily a commission. I'm going to begin at verse 44 and read down to verse 49 of Luke 24. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be filled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So all of these are a commission, a charge. And there's a common theme, spread out, tell people about the gospel, how to receive it through repentance and faith, baptize people, teach them the commands of Christ. And at a basic level, that commission is our commission. That is how the kingdom of God advances. People would not, if people need to hear the gospel to respond to it. And so as we consider the direction or the Lord's direction for Northern Light Baptist Church in 2023, I want to spend some time in these verse, in the back of the verses of Matthew, which is on page 1392, Matthew 28, to talk about the Great Commission, but also the account that immediately precedes it, which is also a commission. Um, Verses 11 through 15 in Matthew 28 um, are, would encapsulate what I call a commission of falsehood. Commission of falsehood. Let me just read it here. So we just talked about, this is a great commission. You preach the gospel. Tell every creature. Baptize them. Teach them. What happened just before Jesus' commission to the disciples here? Verse 11 in Matthew 28. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So let me give some context before we dive into this section of scripture. Um, After being crucified, Jesus Christ had recently risen from the dead. He was alive and he was out of the tomb. The angel, so if we look back in uh, Matthew 28, back at verse 5, the angel had told the two Marys that the tomb was, was empty, that Jesus had been laid in. It says, and the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. So while Christ had predicted these exact sequence of events, from the eyes of the Jewish leaders, this was not supposed to happen. Um, in fact, immediately preceding this, there had been orders given by Pilate, or given, yes, by Pilate, to make sure the tomb had been secured. 
so that no one could take the body of Jesus Christ and claim that he had risen from the dead. So if we go back to chapter 27, so we're moving backwards here uh, to verse 62. This is after, so he is, he is risen. Well, he's, the, the, this is before the, the tomb is open, but this, um, um, yeah, so he's not risen yet. Sorry, I misspoke. So let's read this setting a watch. Now the next day, verse 62, that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, so they're referring of Jesus Christ, while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher, or the tomb, be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing a stone and setting a watch. So they, he says, you have a watch. So he's given them soldiers. Um, the tomb had been made secure, and there was a watch given. There was a, ensuring that no one would try to steal the body of Jesus and claim that he had risen from the dead. And amazingly, the, the, I mean, the, the Pharisees knew his teaching well. They knew that he had said he was going to rise from the dead. So they were trying to avoid any, any rumors of, of this happening. But now the tomb was empty. Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. So if you were these soldiers, you were in fear. You had failed in your duty. And this failure likely did not mean that you were going to get reprimanded or some on-the-job training. It likely meant that you were going to get eliminated. Now the religious leaders who are frequently, you'll see in the Gospels, are frequently called the chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees. They see the importance of what has happened and they want to squash any rumors. Thus, they devise a plan to, to uh, they devise a charge, a commission to give to the soldiers. They're going to commission them. And so let's again look to their commission. So when the watch came in the city and showed unto the chief priest, verse 11, all the things that were done. So essentially, hey, it's empty. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So the commission is a pretty simple one. Just lie. Tell a falsehood. They're told to say that the disciples came and stole the body. Um, and of course... Doing this was to deny that Jesus Christ had indeed risen from the dead. That was the, the reason. If the word of a resurrection had got, or would get out, how many people would, would likely follow this risen Jesus and subvert the power of the religious leaders? They were in fear of losing their own power. But from the perspective of the soldier, it's a pretty simple commission. Just lie. They likely don't even know all the implications of the truth. They're just like, hey, they, they set up the watch and now he's gone and I don't know what's going on. But for the religious leaders, it's more than just telling a lie. It's also denying the truth. And it's not dissimilar to what the world does today when it recognizes the fact that there is a God, but then suppresses that truth 
um, as the Bible says, suppresses it in unrighteousness. Or in, or, uh, let me read it from Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. So you're getting the picture that, that the truth is known by people. For the invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That's us. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So that word hold the truth is they sit on it, essentially. They suppress it. And the religious leaders here are seeking to suppress the truth of the fact that Christ had rise from the dead. So the soldiers were to spread a lie, to have others learn of the lie, and then to spread it further, so that it would they'd tell a few people, they tell a few people, and this lie would go out. And it would, it's a lie to save a select few from losing power. But what's the motivation? Well, the motivation for the charge is essentially fear of man and love of money, right? The soldiers were in trouble. I mean, they, failing their original assignment, um, they were likely in fear of their lives, so the promise of the elders and the chief priests is that they will speak on the, their behalf to the governor, right? It says, uh, if this come to the governor's ears, like he's going to hear you, you guys failed, we will persuade him and secure you. So essentially they will go and say, they're going to stand up for you. The religious leaders are going to stand up for you in front of the governor and secure you. They're going to keep you safe from any judgment that would come. But in addition, so that's verse 14, um, in, in addition, it says that uh, in verse 12, they gave large money. <laughs> People like large money, right? Uh, so the, the, the religious leaders prayed on both the fear of man, like I don't want to die, and a man's love of money in their commission. And so from the perspective of the soldier, this got to sound pretty good. Like you're worried about dying because you failed. Simply protecting my life would have been probably enough. But you're going to give me a bunch of money too. Yep, that sounds good. I will be paid handsomely. This sounds good. So we see then from uh, the motivation then for this commission to the success of the charge. This is the success of this, of this commission. It says in verse 15, soldiers did as they were taught. So they obeyed. They were good disciples. Right? They learned what would keep them safe and paid. In fact, they were more successful carrying out this deception than they had been in securing a tomb. In fact, they were so successful that Matthew records uh, in verse 15, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So until the writing of Matthew's gospel, this was still a, a known, this was, this was what was said about what happened. And in fact, the stolen body hypothesis is something that still gets debated today, 2,000 years after it occurred. So these soldiers did a pretty, they were pretty successful. Their charge was successful um, in the eyes of the world. So we see with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the beginnings of a tale of deception that run through history up to the present day. It's one line of falsehood among many that, uh, for those that either deny the existence of Christ, they deny the deity of Christ, he was just a man, or they deny the existence of God altogether. So in summary, the, this commission of falsehood elevated a lie and suppressed the truth 
and was perpetuated by men driven by greed and self-preservation. And that, that type of lie is synonymous with what you're going to hear from the world in 2023. They're going to prey on your desire for wealth or approval, and they'll perpetuate a lie about what will truly make you happy in your life. Preying on your desire for security, they will promise protection if you, according to the Bible, speak the words which man's wisdom teacheth. They will seek to lead you to believe a lie and not the truth of God's word. So that falsehood is being perpetuated today. But there's a contrast. And moving ahead now back to where we began, from the commission of falsehood, we have the great commission of truth. So immediately after this encounter, so see this, this, this contrast, we have this commission, this lie set up to broadcast to the world that yeah, that, that whole, his, Jesus may be rising from the dead, that did not happen, that's a lie. They're trying to spread this, this falsehood. And then immediately next, we see this account. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So I want to take a moment and contrast this charge with the one that we just observed in the encounter of the soldiers lying on behalf of the chief priests and the elders. It's just interesting to have this deception up against the truth because there's all this deception. Tell people he didn't rise from the dead. Tell them he, he, that, that, that he got his, stolen, his body was stolen by the disciples. And then you say, oh, Jesus came and spake unto them. So Jesus is alive. He, he is definitely risen from the dead. Here is what he says. So we have the message of the charge. Christ tells his disciples to teach all nations and to baptize them. Specifically in verse 20, he tells them to teach them to observe all things whatsoever have commanded you. We saw from Mark's account that he said, uh, go ye into the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. So we're putting things together. Observe what I have commanded you, preach the gospel. So we're to preach or proclaim the gospel. That means, um, so you say, well, I'm not a preacher. Do I get, do I have to? Preach the gospel. No, you are to preach just means to proclaim, to share. So absolutely, this isn't a pastor thing, just. So we're to preach or proclaim the gospel to every creature and be teachers of the commandments of Christ. Both both elements are critical. Without the gospel, the commands of Christ could just be taken as some moral teachings. And the world does do that today. Oh, Jesus was a good teacher. They miss the gospel part, the life-giving, eternal part. That would miss what Mark commanded, actually, what was in, what Christ commanded at the beginning of his ministry in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So that is Christ's own command. And what is the gospel? It is the good news. That's what it means, literally. Good news of the redeeming work of Christ that must be received 
in order for an individual to be born again. And then Luke, we read that part too, provides a little bit more into the reception of the good news and its result in, in Luke 24, 47. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So we're commissioned to share with the world Christ's work of redemption, pleading with them to repent from sin, turn their affections away from the things of this world, set them on the infinite worth of Christ, relinquish control of their lives and submit to his lordship. To see their sin as an egregious affront to the holiness of God and trust alone in Christ's substitutionary atonement to put himself in our place and and to put their trust into that alone to placate the just wrath of God. We then see people saved, we see them, we we baptize them, and then we're to teach them. It's not just the gospel. If a new believer now treasures Christ above all things, he or she will desire that his actions be pleasing to Christ. Jesus said it himself in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if we boil down Christ's commission here to his disciples, it's opposite to what the religious leaders commissioned the soldiers to do. Christ charged his disciples to proclaim truth, the truth of Christ, the truth of his teachings, the truth of his resurrection, the truth of eternal life that comes from treasuring one who is true. The Bible says in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so not only do we proclaim truth, we proclaim the truth of freedom. John eight thirty two, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Or 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So Christ sends his disciples with a message of freedom and liberty. Liberty from the burden of sin and its and guilt. Freedom from the just penalty of sins. So freedom and liberty based on truth versus money and protection. Um, and uh, based on a lie. Now, what about the motivation for Christ's charge or his commission to the disciples here? The why for following his command. He says, all power is given unto unto him, right? Uh, Verse 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. All power is given to me, so go. So rather than a bribe and an implied threat, like we kind of know you're in danger, so if you don't do this, Christ instead promises power. And while the power is Christ, right? He says, all power is given to me. Go ye, therefore. So all power is given to me, you go. Um, He promises in verse 20 that I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So despite leaving, he promises to be with us. In fact, this is just, uh, this is literally empowerment, right? He's empowering his disciples to carry out the commission that he is giving. I am giving you a charge. I'm giving you the power to do it. It's the difference between an organization that operates by the head of the company, essentially getting everybody to act based on fear versus an organization where the head of the company empowers people to perform by providing them what they need to get their job done, to actually do their job. They give you the supplies, they give you the time. 
the training. But what Christ is asking here is a tall order. It's a lot larger uh, than simply lying to a few people that came to an empty tomb and said, yeah, I don't know, stolen. I must have fallen asleep. It was to spread the message of the gospel, what? To all nations. And right now, it says in verse 16 that Christ is talking to the 11 disciples. 11 men, all nations. That's a tall order. So not only were these men to proclaim the message of the gospel to see people saved, they were also to teach and baptize. Again, this is a big order. They're to instruct those who follow in the ways that they had learned. They would need supernatural assistance to do this, to bring this message to the ends of the earth. And what's so wonderful here is that even in this, this, you know, this great power that Christ is, is, is uh, going to give them and his promises to them, he's speaking to frail and imperfect, imperfect people, as you can imagine them there. You know, I want you to spread this message to the world. And we look at this account, we see in verse 17, that when the 11 disciples were with Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. <laughs> they believed, but they doubted. Isn't that much like what we do? We may have doubts. It's much like the father of the demon-possessed boy in Mark chapter 9. He says, straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. They love Jesus. They want to serve him. But now they've witnessed a crucifixion and now a resurrection. They have seen things that no one in the world has ever seen. They have heard promises that no one in this world has ever heard. And I see the disciples as willing, they want to serve, but they're struggling. Their flesh is like, what is going on here? And this reminds us of the words of Christ when he sees the disciples, uh, this is immediately before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's preparing to face his own death and the wrath of his father. And he comes to his disciples in Gethsemane and sees that they uh, have fallen asleep. It says in Mark 14, 38, Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. I think it's become evident from our time in Ephesians together that we're not going to be successful in carrying out all of God's commands in our own strength. The disciples of Christ here are believers. They worship him, but they need help. And that's exactly what Christ promises He says, don't lose heart. I am powerful and I will be with you. It's like a father calling to a child to come to him uh, as he's holding on to a chair, getting ready to take his first steps, doing them solo, saying, come here, I, I, I will get you, I will hold you. It sure builds confidence if you know the one you're going towards is strong enough to catch you. Now let's talk about the success of the charge. And before we talk about whether this charge is successful or was successful, I, need to think, I think we need to consider whether this charge was just for the disciples. Maybe it's not for us. This is an interesting story about disciples, but does it apply to me? Is the Great Commission given to believers in every age? 
Now, these verses that end Matthew indicate that they're going to be successful in seeing souls born again, right? Because they're supposed to teach, baptize and teach. And they're not just supposed to preach the gospel. There's like, there's going to be fruit. Something's going to happen. Their efforts are not going to be fruitless. In the fact, in the gospel of John, Christ says that there are sheep that he must still bring in. John 10, 16, Christ's words, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So there are still sheep when he's speaking. And while the idea of spreading this gospel message certainly needs divine, or is very needy of divine assistance, the promise of fruit, um, in other words, saving of souls, indicates, thinking on our study of Ephesians, that even the conversion of one lost sinner to a child of God requires a divine intervention. So they need divine help from the very beginning. Christ even says this when his disciples, after that we talked about it, I think last week we talked about the rich young ruler. The end of that account where the disciples are questioning the Lord saying, who can be saved? Luke 18, 26, and they they that heard it said, who then can be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So we don't go out. That is, that is what Christ is saying by all power is given me. Go ye therefore. I'm doing the work, but you, I'm, I'm providing the power, but you need to, to extend effort. So we think of the different ways the apostles did this. I'm sure they talk, obviously they talk to people. We see in the book of Acts, they talk to people, they spread the gospel, they get persecuted, they, they have victories, this, the church grows. But let, listen to this, these opening words of the first epistle of John. Actually, if you want to turn there, it's page uh, 1713 in the Pew Bible. 1 John, towards the end of the Bible here, 1 John 1. Think about this, put yourself into John's shoes, Sandals, <laughs> um, as he opens this letter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, we uh, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. So I just read that and say, this is John carrying out the Great Commission, right? The things that we've seen and heard, we're telling you about. We're declaring them unto you. Why? So that you can have fellowship with us. We want you to know the joy that we have in knowing Christ. We're declaring this to you. We are, go ye therefore. That's what we're doing. The Apostle John declares what he had seen. In this very writing of the letter, he is carrying out what Christ had commissioned before uh, what he wanted John to do in the rest of his life. So in the execution of the Great Commission, we see the New Testament church being established and grown, ultimately under the divine power of God. In Christ's teachings, it's clear that the church that is being built is an eternal entity and will never be destroyed. Matthew 16, 18, and I say, this is Christ, 
unto thee thou, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, we could spend an entire time describing why we don't think Peter is the rock of the church, uh, but the key of that, of that uh, verse for today is the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is an eternal church. It is going to be here forever. The disciples, the 11 of them, are not eternal beings in this world. Their souls are eternal. They are with the Lord. But that means this commission continues. The fact that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church does not mean that a local church may not close. Unfortunately, many do. But the church, again, is not the building. It is the people. And we believe that believers cannot lose their salvation. And we know then that the ultimate end of the Great Commission will be successful. And God is at work in bringing his sheep. It says in John 10, verse 13, The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I, Christ referring to himself, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And back to the one verse we said earlier, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also must I bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So we believe that the Great Commission will be successful. And we also recognize, since these things are being proclaimed today, and people are being born again today, and the disciples aren't with us today, that this commission is for us as well. So finally, in our time remaining, let's turn to the Great Commission for Northern Light Baptist Church in 2023. So I'm going to sneak back to those verses in Matthew. Matthew 28 and verse 18 and 19. Let's look at Christ's words. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. <clears throat> his power. We go. It's his power. Remember, all things are possible with God. We have com- been commissioned to plant a church here in western Maine, which began last year. We are missionaries here, spreading the gospel and teaching from the word. But the power is already here. It is here in the word of Christ. It's really here in the word of God. Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Without this, we have no power. There's no, we're not, we can, we could get people to jump on a, uh, I don't know, some type, you know, some type of a, a teaching that was just a, um, you know, just a health, wealth, and prosperity type of teaching and doesn't have the word of God. You could get people to follow along with that, but it has no power. It's not doing anything eternally. Faith doesn't come because we have a church in Maine. <laughs> Faith comes by people hearing the word of God. So first, our commission in 2023 is to put the word of God into the hands and ears of as many people as we can. Put the word of God into the hands and ears of as many people as we can. So we have a five-pronged approach to our new year at Northern Light Baptist. Step one, share the gospel. People will not believe unless they hear the gospel. They just won't. 
that's the, <laughs> faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So they need the word of God. So we will continue to outreach. We'll continue. We'll hand out tracts. We'll tell other people about Jesus. We'll become bolder in doing so. Ooh, bolder in doing so. I'm not good at this. I'm an introvert. Do we need more boldness? We need to pray for more boldness. Here's Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They did it by they, because they prayed. Why? Because all power is given to Jesus. Go ye, therefore. We have power. So share the gospel. Secondly, teach the word. Christianity is more than the gospel. The gospel is critical at the beginning, and it's really critical throughout. But those that have been born again need to be fed the word of God. So we will teach the word. We will feed the people. Peter called Christ's words the words of eternal life in John 6, 68. Christ asked Peter if he would go somewhere else and if he would leave him. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. So they need the word of God. So we will share the gospel. We will teach the word. Thirdly, we'll appreciate the power. As we see here, all power, all power is given to Christ Remembering that brings boldness because we have access to divine power, like all power, but it also brings humility. If we go on our own power, one, we'll fail because our power doesn't do anything. (laughs) It's this, it's like infinite power and then our power. We're going to go on our power, we're in trouble. If we go in his power, we can only succeed So we share the gospel, we teach the word, we appreciate the power, and then we remember our joy. The Great Commission is not simply a duty for the believer or for Northern Light Baptist Church. It is for our joy. Following Christ as your Savior and Lord is the greatest joy producer in the world. And that joy must overflow in the desire to see others have the same joy. If it's all, well, I just have the circle of joy all around me and I'm just happy and I just keep it all to myself and I don't want to care if anybody's happy else. I just, it's just for me. That's not right. <laughs> That's just not good. Um, our joy in Jesus is not a private matter. Not when the lost and dying world faces an eternity in hell. It's not like they you have like a really neat toy and you're like, well, it's mine. I don't really, I don't want you to have it, but because it's mine. It's not just that they'll get neglected, the toy. It's that they will get something far worse if they don't know about that joy. So we share the gospel. We teach the word. We appreciate the power. We remember our joy. And finally, we trust in the Lord. We will have challenging days. Why? We're flesh, right? Uh, The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. There might be days where Jesus comes and finds us asleep. Get up, come on, help, do your work. We will not always know what the next step is going to be. However, given that we are going in the power of God and his son, we must trust that that power will do its work. We don't, um, let's say this, um, we don't, avoiding to, to doubt or fret when things don't always move in the direction we expect them to. 
That obviously, uh, you know, we've already seen that in this first year. Things don't always move in the direction that we expect them to. So we need to trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So uh, we don't know how the path will turn out, but we must trust in the Lord. If we knew how the path was going to turn out, and we knew A, B, and C, and D would get us there, it wouldn't be faith. It would be sight. And that's not how we walk as Christians. So you probably followed along there if we went with share the gospel, teach the word, appreciate the power, remember your joy, and trust the Lord. The acronym is START. And it is our beginning at Northern Life Baptist Church. And, but if, I think, if we follow these steps, I think the Lord will be pleased. I think these are things that his word outlines, and I think we will grow in our love for him and our joy in him, and the Great Commission will continue to be advanced here in Western Maine. There are other works that are trying to do this. There are other, you know, they're, they're, the, the work of God continues despite the culture around us. Does it mean we're going to convert the, the, the state or the country? Uh, I don't know. I'm I, uh, I don't want to say, well, probably not, but we don't know. We'll see. We need to trust the Lord to do what the Lord needs to do. He has sheep that are not of this fold. He will bring them in. He will use imperfect means to do so. So we need to start somewhere. And I think with this outline from his own commission of truth uh, can be a good beginning for us in the year to come. Let's pray.